Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Nakubo in Brief. I'm Megan Schneider, Assistant Director of Federal Affairs at Nakubo. Joining me today is Sophia Latterman. Sophia is a Senior Policy Analyst at the State Higher Education Executive Officers Association, or SHEO, as you all probably know it. Um, and Sophia manages SHEO's State Higher Education Finance Project, or SHEF, as we will call it throughout the podcast, which looks at state-level funding for higher education across the country. Sophia, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So I think we'll dive right in. We're really lucky. So the 2018 Chef Report just came out not too long ago. Um, and it, it, they're always interesting. But um, this year highlighted that public institutions are, unsurprisingly, I think to a lot of our listeners, increasingly relying on tuition dollars as opposed to state and local appropriations to fund their annual operations. Um, but before we dig into that, can you give us a little bit of background on the history of state-level support of higher education? Because I think when we think about, you know, sort of the country's oldest institutions, the Harvards, Yales, Princetons of the world, obviously there are oldest schools and private institutions have a, a different funding model, of course, than public institutions do. Um, so when did it sort of start emerging in the higher education landscape that states were, you know, interested in creating public institutions and investing in them? Um, and when did we start seeing this shift occur that these public institutions that had sort of been created with this public service mission in mind um, had to start increasingly relying on other sorts of support? So as you mentioned, the first uh, colleges and universities in the U.S. were private. Um, with a couple exceptions, there really weren't public institutions until the Land-Grant Act. So that was about 150 years ago. And since that time, states have had a dominant role in supporting public higher education. The earliest actual data that we have on state support for higher education starts in the 1970s. So we know that in the 70s and 80s, about 80% of operating revenue at public colleges came from the state. And state funding generally kept faith kept pace with inflation and with changes in enrollment. Um, as a general rule, during the 70s and 80s, every time there was an economic recession, state support per student would decline and tuition would increase a little bit to make up the difference. Um, and that is still what we're seeing today. But historically, when the economy stabilized after a recession, the state support would rebound to prior levels. So I would say the actual shift in the sources of revenue for public institutions really began in the early 2000s. Um, and that is when state support failed to recover after a recession. So starting in 2000, over 70% of general operating revenue at public colleges still came from states. 
after a small recession in the early 2000s, appropriations never fully recovered, and we started to see a more permanent shift in the sources of public college revenues. So from this point until the Great Recession, states provided about two-thirds of the total revenue at public colleges. The Great Recession then led to the steepest decline we've ever seen in state funding. After adjusting for inflation, uh, colleges and universities lost about $2,200 in state support per student. Um, And that's about a quarter of their overall funding over just a couple years. So during the the last two recessions, the small one in the early 2000s and the Great Recession from about 2009 to 2012, tuition revenue, which um, captures increases in tuition rates, but also changes in the proportion of students that pay out-of-state tuition or attend more expensive institutions. So this tuition revenue figure increased dramatically to offset um, declines in funding. So at this point in 2018, states are providing just over half of the total operating revenue at institutions and tuition covers the rest. Um, But as we'll get into a little bit later, this varies quite a bit state by state. But if you continue this national trend forward of declines during recession and um, partial recovery afterwards, it seems clear that during the next recession, states will no longer provide the majority of the operating revenue at public colleges. Oh, that's so interesting. So I think when most of us think of the early 2000s, it doesn't feel that, you know, long ago at all. And that's such a huge shift to occur in such a short period of time. So we know that public institutions are, thanks to the Chef Report, um, are increasingly needing to rely on tuition dollars to support their missions. Um, But another interesting thing that your report highlighted um, was that net tuition revenue remained relatively flat, certainly over the last year and even over um, the last couple of years. So if states are, or institutions are increasing, increasingly needing to rely on other sources of revenue to make up for state shortfalls, and we don't see huge rises in tuition, at least in the last year or so, what are some of the ways that we're seeing institutions looking to make up for that shortfall? So the first thing to note here is that the Chef Report's measure of tuition revenue is not entirely driven by tuition rates. Um, so tuition rates actually did increase from 2017 to 18. The increases were smaller than in prior years, um, but our tuition revenue figure is also affected by the proportion of full-time um, equivalent enrollment that is out of state or international, and we know that fewer international students enrolled in the last year. It's also affected by state financial aid programs. Um, And I think in this year's report, a large increase in state financial aid actually offset net tuition revenue increases. So we see flat revenue, um, but we back out any state funded financial aid from tuition revenue. So as aid goes up, tuition revenue goes down. Um, So I think changes in student demographics and increases in state financial aid have both contributed to the flat tuition we saw in the last year. But Many institutions have had to find other ways to raise revenue. Um, They can't all just rely on raising tuition. So I think um, it varies by institutional type. Community colleges and regional comprehensive universities, which are typically less selective, have less of an ability to raise tuition rates or to recruit more out-of-state and international students. Um, In general, many institutions started to respond to state funding declines at first by cutting costs, increasing efficiencies, and then at a certain point, you run out of things to cut, and institutions started to look toward other revenue sources, um, like public-private partnerships that bring in funding from local businesses, and um, another example is increasing alumni outreach in hopes of increased donations. 
So we've also seen many institutions develop online courses and programs um, to increase revenue. So I think those are some of the main ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think that really jives with what we've uh, been seeing here at Nakubo and of course makes, um, at least for our business officers, some of the concerns about the changes to charitable giving that came about from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Um, But yeah, I think you're right in that we're seeing different institutions tackle this in different ways. Sort of shifting gears here, a lot of the Chef Report data focuses on national averages. And national averages are, of course, very useful um, in getting a good picture of what's going on with higher ed across the country. Um, But sometimes the more interesting stories are what's going on at sort of the individual state level. Um, Can you tell us about any interesting occurrences, disparities, things like that that you might have observed in state-by-state comparisons as you we're collecting this data? Yes. So this is a very important caveat when we're talking about national figures from the Chef Report. Like you said, there's wide variation across states um, in every metric. So for example, if you look at enrollment, that ranges from about 17,500 full-time equivalent students in Alaska to 1.56 million in California. Um, So states have very different higher education systems and um, different numbers of institutions and numbers of students attending those institutions. State appropriations per student also range quite a bit. Wyoming has the highest per student appropriation at about $18,000 annually per student. And uh, New Hampshire and Vermont are on the other end of the spectrum with less than $3,000 annually per student. We uh, see this difference reflected if we go back to look at the proportion of total funding that comes from the state. So in Wisconsin, um, as with most of the U.S. in the 70s and 80s, Wisconsin still provides over 80% of total operating revenues for public institutions. And you can compare that to only about 13% in Vermont. So Vermont is mostly tuition revenue at this point. States also differ in how they've fared over time. So some states have followed the national trends, while others have a very different story. Um, For example, Missouri is the only state that is currently worse off in terms of total revenue than they were during the worst years of the Great Recession. Um, So the reasons for this are twofold. First, Missouri has struggled to restore their per-student appropriations at all since 2012, And second, the state has restricted tuition rate increases um, to just about the rate of inflation. And that's been the case for over a decade. So while restricting tuition rate increases is good for student affordability, it also means that institutions weren't able to make up for lost state revenue by increasing tuition rates. Um, Another example of a state diverging from the national trend is Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin historically had average to slightly above average per student funding for higher education. But unlike most states that have been slowly recovering from the Great Recession in the last few years, the opposite is true in Wisconsin. Appropriations have continued to decline, and the state is now essentially at its lowest point ever for per student funding uh, after adjusting for enrollment and inflation. And then one other piece to keep in mind is states differ in their ability to fund higher education. That is the total amount of state tax and non-tax revenue that's available and the relative burden of other state funding responsibilities like K-12 education and Medicaid, things that states have to fund. So that's always an important consideration as well when we look at what's happening in different states. 
Interesting. Yeah. So I think that that really ties in nicely with something that we, for our advocacy purposes, tell lawmakers um, all the time that, you know, once you know one college or university, you know one college or university, really the differences in geography, the differences between public and private institutions, differences in size um, and other, you know, sort of uh, budgetary pressures each institution each institution is facing really makes a difference in what um, the overall picture at a school looks like. Um, but building on that last question, one of the things that I really like about the Chef Report is that it does a great job of sort of highlighting the impact of the Great Recession on state funding. Um, and importantly, as the report notes, we're sort of in that really interesting period where we're now about a decade out from the Great Recession. So this is sort of the period of time where the data starts to become a little bit more relevant, right? Because I know at least for our own endowment report and things like that, the the years immediately following it are sort of not a wash by any means, but you have to say, well, these are probably going to look very different than they have in any other year because of this huge financial impact that all sorts of institutions were dealing with. Um, but we're now in that that period where we have a decade's worth of information so we can sort of maybe start to suss out differences overall in how states are recovering um, and how, as you mentioned before, how states are responding to appropriation levels for higher education. Um, and it, it seems like you, as you highlighted, we've seen a, a pretty wide variation between the states and how they've recovered, or in some cases, rather, how they've not recovered in restoring funding to higher education in that 10-year period following the recession. Um, I know you spoke about it some, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, were there any sort of conclusions that you could draw from what you saw or trends that you observed between states um, that have, again, sort of met those pre-recession funding levels and the states that haven't? Uh, it was harder to make sort of long-term generalizable statements in the years immediately following the Great Recession. So um, this year is really the first year of stability following that, where we can take a look at how things um, have gone in the last 10 years. There has been very wide variation in how public higher education has been impacted across the states. Um, so we took a look this year at the trends in each state over the last 10 or so years, and we found that states generally fall into a few different buckets. Um, before I get into that, I do want to note that um, some states were hit much harder by the recession than others, and your listeners probably know this, but... Um, in terms of their declines to higher education funding, they were much more severe in some states than others. Um, and one important thing to notice is that I'm saying decline, not cut. So while there were definitely cuts in higher education in many states, um, and another group of states just couldn't keep up with a massive influx of community college students during the Great Recession. So this led to much lower funding on a per student level, regardless of whether there were actual cuts. Um, so to get an idea of the scale of declines across states. There were two states that saw less than a 10% decline in state fund funding per student. So that's Alaska and Wyoming. On the other hand, seven states had really severe declines of more than 40% of their per student funding being cut in just uh, about three years. So the most common strategy to make up for lost um, funding is to increase reliance on tuition revenue. Every state has increased tuition revenue per student since 2008. Um, over half of all states were able to raise tuition revenue to completely offset declines in state funding. So in over 30 states, state funding has only partially recovered since the Great Recession. 
So this first bucket of states actually holds the majority. And these are the states that have partially recovered appropriations, but have also increased tuition. So they've been able to offset state funding declines and their total revenue is doing okay from the institutional perspective. The second bucket has 11 states and those 11 states have not seen any recovery in state funding. Um, and they also haven't seen any recovery in the total revenue. They haven't reached total revenue levels from 10 years ago, um, despite most of them still increasing tuition revenue. And in that group are a lot of the states that had the most severe cuts and they had the farthest to come back from. The final group of states are those that have truly recovered the levels of state funding seen 10 years ago uh, before the Great Recession. So there are only five states in this bucket. Those states are Alaska, California, Hawaii, New York, and Wyoming. Um, in terms of what those states have in common, Alaska and Wyoming were the two states with the smallest declines. So there wasn't as much funding to make up. Um, and California, Hawaii, and New York all have very strong economies with well above average tax revenue per person. So those states have both had the ability to increase funding and they've made it a priority. Interesting. And um, this is going sort of off the cuff. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but um, I, it, we keep, keep seeing Alaska and Wyoming pop up. Do you think some of that is also due um, to just population and having smaller than I would guess average um, population and uh, full-time enrollment students? Yeah, I think to some extent, and I think that's definitely true in Wyoming, there's um, a portion of this, which is just economies of scale. Um, when you have a large state with fewer students, um, you don't have that economy of scale that you might have in New York or um, California or something like that. Like you said, uh, the sort of institutions that were most severely impacted um, by the great, great Recession were probably not the ones that are most commonly found in uh, Alaska and Wyoming, I would guess. Um so that's, you know, sometimes there's a there's a benefit in being in, in more remote places, and this might be one of them. <laughs> um, so we've discussed that uh, state appropriations for public higher education have decreased, um, but the Chef Report also found that state financial aid for students at these instit institutions has actually increased for the last four years. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Why is that? And are there any conclusions we can draw from that? Yeah, so state funding for student financial aid has increased substantially over time, um, not just in the last few years, but really since 2000. So in 2000, back when state funding was still high and tuition revenue was relatively low, the average student received an inflation-adjusted $370 in annual state financial aid. In 2018, that has increased to $750 per student. So that's not nearly enough to cover increases in tuition rates over that same time period, but it does show that states are really trying to protect college affordability by prioritizing aid. Uh, financial aid now makes up almost 10% of all state appropriations. It only used to make up about 4%. What this means, though, is that states are redirecting funding from institutions to students. Um, in fact, in the last year, financial aid is the only part of our state support measure that increased at above the rate of inflation. So if you exclude financial aid, the general operating appropriations for institutions from the state actually declined this year for the first time since the Great Recession. So increased attention on affordability and higher uh, state financial aid is good, particularly when the aid is need-based. However, institutions need operating funding too. And there's some concern about what it might mean that there is an increasing proportion of state funding that's now flowing through students rather than institutions. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think we could probably do a whole separate podcast in and of itself into what dynamics are playing into encouraging lawmakers to direct those funds um, to students as opposed to and away from institutions. Um, but, you know, I don't know that we have time to get into all of that on this one. Um, I thank you so much, Sophia. I feel like I understand the report so much better than I did even going into it um, with your context. Um, but are there any other data points of interest that you'd like to highlight or things that you think are particularly noteworthy that um, our listeners should uh, try and make note of that we haven't yet discussed? Um, the one other thing I'd like to mention is sort of looking forward. Um, at SHIO, we've been really interested in what it means that state funding for higher education was essentially flat this year. For years, the media and a number of higher education experts have referred to our low post-recession funding as the new normal. And SHIO has hesitated to say that, but the flat state funding this year follows several years of smaller and smaller increases as states have worked to restore their pre-recession funding. And we've also seen enrollment stabilize over the last two years. So there was a large increase in enrollment during the recession and a large decrease following it. And in the last two years, enrollment has been essentially flat. So it seems in a sense that the recovery from the Great Recession has ended, and this might actually be the new baseline moving forward. But we've only halfway recovered the per-student funding. So if we are at a new normal, that new normal represents substantially lower state-level investment in public higher education than ever before. So we're not sure what would happen during the next recession if this is our new baseline. In the past, states have used higher education as sort of a balance wheel to adjust their budgets during recessions. And they've been able to rely on um, institutions that can increase revenue to offset any declines in state funding. I think it's unclear at this point whether um, this is sustainable through the next downturn if you consider um, the increased attention on affordability and the extent to which tuition has already risen. Um, and then one final caveat is just that everything we've talked about varies widely across institutions within a state and across states. So our data includes everything from community colleges to state flagship institutions. So while the national overview, as you mentioned in the beginning, is helpful to discuss the broad trends in higher education, it doesn't describe the story at many institutions or in every state. Yeah, absolutely. That's I think that was a really good point to highlight because I think for many of our business officers, what that really represents is more and more, like you said, this is a new normal and um, sort of the way that we had done things or expected that these funding models would look for a very long period of time are sort of in this period where business officers are really having to think differently and creatively about how they're building those budgets every year, um, while also trying to be sensitive to public concern about, like, as you said, the increasing uh, raise in tuition. Um, but so thank you so much, Sophia, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, and I encourage all of our listeners to go out and read the Chef Report. It's available on SHIO's website, and they have all sorts of great resources to go along with it. Um, thank you again for listening to Nakubo and Brief. Please be sure to subscribe and uh, be sure to check out our other podcast, CBO Speaks, and uh, subscribe to that as well. They're available on Apple Podcasts, from the uh, Stitcher store for Android devices, and on the Nakubo website. Thanks so much.